dream is so beautiful, you know. Come play. The page dynasty is the newest rage. Maybe you've played, maybe you've made a trade. Made list, and now these fish are all up on ya. I mean, you won three ships, they wish they had your. So, this is it. You wanna learn the game. 101 pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Owner's Manual. It's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic owner's manual. It, it, it's automatic D- dynasty. It, it's automatic. <laughs> and here are your authors: Chris Allen and A- A- Adam Wildy. All right, everybody, welcome back. I'm Chris Allen, co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast. And I'm Adam Wilde, other co-host of the Dynasty Owners Manual podcast, and I'll start us with the forward. So we have a date for Best Ball Owners Manual I've probably told you about 22 times. It's going to be April 1st, so it's going to be dead in the middle of the uh, best ball season. So that's going to be a blast. We're finally going to have some information on these rookies that we should be drafting. We've also got the Combine episode out from the Debbie Owners Manual podcast, so that's going to be awesome. The last thing I have today is the – post-hibernation weight loss challenge. It's for a great cause. It's for charity. But if you don't care about charity, there's also sweet prizes, including a Scott Fishbowl entry. So instead of yelling at Scott when you don't get in, he can yell at you for not losing enough weight, and it's going to be marvelous. So check that out. That's all over my Twitter feed at A-P-W-I-L-D-E. And uh, enjoy the show. Yeah, I think all of those things, uh, the, the workout challenge, we already had a discussion about that. Uh, actually, you'll be hearing at least a little bit about that on the episode that will drop on Monday with Ethan, where Adam actually pre- uh, premiered some of that discussion. Uh, and also the Best Ball Owner's Manual. I'm really looking forward to that, especially the time frame and when it's going to be dropping, because April, we've got the NFL, NFL Draft coming, so there's going to be a whole new batch of players that are going to be, I guess, added to the player pool so how we adjust the values of the current players how we adjust the values of the rookies that are coming in all of that is going to be content that you're going to need in order to make adjustments to your best ball rankings so moving on from there we have one, another wonderful guest for you today uh, we've got jesse reeves of ff statistics i mean we have so many folks uh, from the ff statistics crew on here we've talked to addison uh, we've had the great peter howard on uh, so now jesse i mean that just adds to our collection of folks that we have a chance to go ahead and talk to so jesse i mean first off with the work that you do uh, we were just talking about this off air a second ago but since we can poke a little bit of fun at the great Peter Howard. I know that you were just telling us a story about some of the, that kind of gives people a glimpse into some of the work that you do. So can you, one, tell us the story uh, to kind of, I guess, get us into what you do. And then also, yeah, let's, can we make fun of Peter Howard just for, for a little bit? So we can, <laughs> any, any chance I get to take just a couple jabs at Peter, um, I, I will gladly take. Um, First off, thanks for having me on. Uh, talk to you guys today. Great morning. Um, and and let's just jump right into the story. Uh, so we were talking off air about kind of what it's like to work with with Peter Howard. Great guy. Uh, fun guy. We all uh, know if you've ever interacted with him. Um, it's a great – it's just a great fun experience. It's a ride. It's like an acid trip uh, of statistics and just greatness. But um, uh, yeah, there's one – I think a couple months ago I, I released a, a, a DK Metcalf article and probably shut my eyes and Peter messages me probably around 12, you know, 12 o'clock in the middle of the night, so which was probably like 2 a.m. for him, which is just general hours of Peter Howard. And um, – he messaged me. He said, "Hey, dude, I, I really liked your P, or your uh, your DK Metcalf article, but I really want to use it on a thread. It might seem like it's bashing you, but it's not. I promise." And and from that moment, I was like, "Okay, let's let's do this then." <laughs> and so I said, I gave him the go ahead to use my DK Metcalf article, and uh, sure enough, I uh, I wake up in the morning and uh, there's a nine like a nine tweet thread. Uh, breaking down in just abs- with absolute precision uh, the verbiage in my Metcalf article, uh, how he views it from his point of uh, point of my or uh, you know his 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 uh, perspective, and 
um, what he thought of the whole thing. And it was great. I thought it was, I thought it was great. Anybody, uh, you know, if you didn't know Peter, you probably thought he was shitting on me. I thought he was shitting on me, but, um, <laughs> it, it was still, it was still really great. And we, I know we were talking about it off air, just the type of person that Peter is. Great guy. Um, that's probably one of my, my fondest memories of, of Peter. I'll probably hold on to that forever. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I woke up and I expected, I expected a good thread and check my follower count because, um, you know, I figured if, if Peter's going <laughs> to be pooping on somebody else, then it, you know, I'm probably going to lose a couple hundred followers here, but sure enough, I think I gained traction after that regardless. I don't know, if, <laughs> you know, cause there, there are some anti Peter Howard, uh, truthers out there. So maybe I, maybe I got lucky and snagged a couple of them, but, um, yeah, that was, that was my story on Peter Howard. <laughs> I, I think that's the funny part to me is, uh, not just the, the interaction, but also just how Peter breaks down a lot of people's work in sort of kind of crafting their arguments into his own in order to make his make his point. And I think he does an excellent job of that. But I think you also highlight one of the better parts of the dynasty football community in that we can have these, we can do our own analysis in, in a vacuum put that out to the community and then have smart minds like yourself and Peter have this back and forth conversation. Well, from Peter, it's more of just you're wrong. So deal with it. Uh, <laughs> but, but he can at least state his point, And that's where we, that's where we, we as a community get smarter by seeing both your viewpoints and making and kind of making our own adjustments or our, our own conclusions based off of both inputs, both yourself, both yours and Peter's. So I think that's valuable, uh, valuable interactions that, that we should be having here on, on t- either on Twitter or through, uh, or through FS statistics. So I, I would highly, highly recommend uh, both uh, following both folks. But of course we just had to, poke a little fun at Peter like while we have the chance to, to do so. I would say in terms of the on the hierarchy of things that you should have done to you while on Twitter, I would say maybe an Adam Schefter bump, maybe an mm-hmm. Evan Silva bump, and then mm-hmm. a thread of your stuff on Peter. I think that's how the I think that's how the chain should go. One, two, three, oh, yeah. just like that. If yeah. Peter's making threads on you, you you're doing something really You've really right. Are really wrong, or and really either wrong. way, yeah. he's still talking <laughs> about you. So he, you know, I'll take it. You know, yeah, Peter's I think you've made it. Thesis on why you're stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure you've made it. At that oh, point. he could write a whole paper about that on me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, jokes aside. All right, let's actually do some uh, do some work today, gentlemen. Oh man. All right, so Jesse, we know that at least part of what you do for the Dino community is that you're very much into into putting together ranks, and so your ranking process is part of what we wanted to come here and talk with you about this morning. So <clears throat> your DK Metcalf article, and also any of the other the rookie ride receivers, are as part of what we want to get into today. But first off, again, we are a process but also practical application shows so we wanted to talk to you about your process in and of itself so when did you first start doing that work and start creating your own i guess rookie ranking process and how did you get into something like that uh so this year is actually the first year that i've done um it on paper uh, for a website and actually putting my uh my rankings and and um the guys that i really like really don't like out there into the world but before that i i would probably say i've been doing draft work uh by myself kind of in a, a in a lonely dungeon by myself for probably since about 2013 2014 give or take um and I would say that's probably about the time that um, that I started to gravitate more towards uh, the draft and prospects and um, the 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 entire off season program, uh, pro days, senior bowl, good stuff like that. Um, I never really did necessarily rankings, um, you know, like one through twenty four or anything like that. But um, I definitely gravitated towards looking at these prospects and being okay. I like this guy. I uh, started following a lot of guys like Daniel Jeremiah. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of a couple other guys that I latched onto uh, early. Matt Miller, Matt Miller. Uh, yeah, Zerline, yes, uh, Zerline. Uh, I I gravitated towards a lot of the guys at NFL.com. I think too that's just because they're very accessible. I think that's a good intro point to if 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 you're looking to get into um, <clears throat> anything football related. I, I think they're just very accessible for the most part. Uh, Bucky Brooks, another guy um, that I really yeah the, the the yeah the Move the Sticks podcast was was a really good buffer for me. Just starting to learn more. Uh, but granted, that doesn't really fit into like the fantasy narrative. That's just the, the draft talk in general. So you can learn a lot there. Uh, but in terms of from a fantasy perspective, this is the first year that, that I've ranked uh, and put out offensive rankings uh, about guys that I like, guys that I don't like. Uh, but I've always been a draft head, man. I, I really enjoy 
that time of year, I really enjoy looking at guys that are coming in, uh, guys that um, go through the entire off season uh, off season process where they. Um, you know, like I said, Pro Day, Senior Bowl, uh, East East West Shrine Game, and the whole scouting thing. I came into the fantasy community as more of a like a tape kind of scouting guy. Um, so I've always had a, had a knack for that. Always really enjoyed that. So I guess in doing that, so you've done, <clears throat> and I think it's a perfect a uh, perfect backstory for for you, so that we can see that. All right, so you used to do this, or you didn't done this on your own for quite a few years, and this is the first year that you're <clears throat> publishing it. But doing it on your own, what were the benefits that you saw in, I guess, in producing your own rankings? Like, what did you see about being able to compare your own set of data to anybody else's that you saw out there? So the the Lance Zierlines, the Dane Bruglers, like those guys. The, I mean, how did you? I guess, what are the benefits you saw in doing that? So I would say early in in, in my process when I was just kind of latching on to the draft community and the the people in it i would say i relied a lot on what those what those people were talking about to kind of tell me what uh what they were seeing um granted i would watch watch a good amount of film and um <clears throat> and i would do more of like gut feeling type of selections like okay i really like this guy there's a lot of hype going around him so i think i'm probably uh, i'm probably really gonna like him um i like melvin gordon coming out in what 2015 i believe um, I, I knew he was like a top prospect coming out. Everyone was talking about him. And, uh, so I gravitated more towards him. I was really happy when my chargers selected him too. So that was just an extra bonus there. Um, <laughs> uh, but that was earlier in my process. And now that I'm putting stuff out, um, into the world, uh, like this year and, and last year and diving more into, uh, the data analytics side, as well as, uh, grinding more tape and, and getting more involved in it. I've noticed that I'm able to rely on, on my process more. So as opposed to listening to three or four different podcasts and then being like, okay, I really, I really like Bucky Brooks and Daniel Jeremiah's take. So I'm going to side with this guy and what they see. Um, I'm now able to go in and, and watch the film myself, crunch the numbers myself, and really talk about what I see, what I like. Because I'm finding that more often than not, we're all wrong. So I might as well be wrong at what I feel and what I think. And my process kind of allows me to do that now. It allows me to die on my own hills and it allows me to um, – have fun while I'm doing it. I would much rather dive in on um, a guy like, you know, that everyone's kind of twisted around, say, this year, Benny Snell. A lot of people don't like him because he doesn't have receptions. He he, he hasn't shown that he catches the ball often. Um, and he people think he's a one-dimensional back. Um, granted, I do agree with some of that. I also see a lot of potential there. Um, and that's a hill that I'm willing to die on. I, I got on that hill early, and I, I, I enjoy watching him. Um, but I'm able to do that because my process now allows me to do that. So um, that's kind of where the evolution has come in from 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 a couple of years ago till now. Um, I definitely enjoy being able to do everything myself and um, developing that process every day. Good deal. Well, today we're going to learn I missed entirely through practical application because I did the show sheet and that's my favorite. I'm an example kind of person. So we'll pretty much just jump right into it. I mean, We'll jump with the hot topic since you started on it earlier. Uh, basically, I want to know where you rank DK Metcalf and why. I mean, he was the least productive wide receiver entering this draft. I mean, maybe he was a little better than Lodge statistically, but less productive than A.J. Brown. But he does look like a transformer. So where are you ranking him this year and why are you ranking him there? So right now, I believe I have him no lower than my <clears> – yeah, I have him at right now at my wide receiver five. And – I, I have him under guys like Nikhil Harry, A.J. Brown, uh, Kelvin Harmon, Hakeem Butler, and then D.K. Metcalf. And I still feel like that's a little – that might be too high. For anybody that's going purely off the statistics, if they're running these wide receivers through their through their predictive model, uh, I don't know. Depending on how you skew the numbers, uh, I know a lot of people have different processes on dominator rating and, and market share and um, what that means to them. Uh, but D.K. Metcalf is likely not to hit in your wide receiver predictive model. Mm-hmm. Um and that he can come out behind guys like Andy Isabella, guys like you know uh, Greg Dortch, Stanley Morgan. I have him up that high because I personally I'm willing to take that risk. If I'm falling anywhere in between, say in, in a dynasty draft, anywhere between the 106 and the which I don't think he's going to make it there, but like the 106 and um, the the 112. He's not going to make it anywhere in there. But mm-hmm. um, if I'm falling in there, I will I will take that shot at DK Metcalf, especially if those other four wide receivers are kind of off the board. And I even contemplate putting him potentially above Hakeem Butler. Hakeem Butler mm-hmm. really, really, really came on last year, had a massive dominator rating, I believe, over 40%. But he only did it one year. 
and then you 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 look at DK Metcalf and what he's able to do physically. Um, and then some of the circus-like catches that, that, that he had in 2017 and then last year before getting injured, um, he's a specimen. And if you – I believe Peter Howard said it you know, uh, on, on your guys' last podcast that if we're talking if, – if we can't quantify you know, something such as what DK Metcalf didn't do – in when he was injured if we can't quantify that we just don't know Mm -hmm. and if you're willing to side with that and you're willing to tell yourself okay i don't know what's going to happen but i like what he i like the potential i like the potential there and i think that he can have something if he potentially goes to the right situation or um something of that nature if you're willing to die on that hill then dk metcalf should be pretty high in your rankings because i believe he has the highest ceiling of this class bar maybe maybe below nikhil harry I think he probably has he may, he probably does have a higher ceiling than Nikhil Harry, honestly, um, with with what his skill set is, uh, you know, what he's able to do. Um, so that's kind of where I land on him right now. Um, I guess the one part that that the reason why he is so low is not not just injuries. If you take the injuries out, you look at his 2017 season in those 12 games. He was still the third, the third, the second or third wide receiver in that offense mm-hmm. out uh, behind AJ Brown, and he was competing with uh, Demarcus Lodge for. for uh, opportunity there and he didn't he didn't separate himself so for all the hype that's going on around him uh, with everything that's going on and he had that full season there and he 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 played well he played the full season if we look at that sample size and he still wasn't able to beat uh aj brown and demarcus lodge outright for that mm-hmm. number one wide receiver position how do we think that's going to get better at the next level that's do fair. we think that's going to get better at the next level i, I mm-hmm. don't know because mm-hmm. saying that a player um isn't good because better players got more opportunity and they were better than him. That doesn't really sit well with me because the bottom line is you're telling me that better players got the opportunity over DK Metcalf, but DK Metcalf is immune to what happens at the next level. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know if I side with that. So that's kind of where I have him right now. Uh, that's kind of where I lie with him. That's why he's sitting at the five spot right now. Uh, these rankings are ever changing uh, mm-hmm. and they, they will continue to change, but um, yeah, that's kind of where I land on him. So DK Metcalf is probably the hardest player I've ever had to rank, I think. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons it's so hard is because he's so controversial right now that it's almost that you have to pick a side. But if you listen to this show, we don't really pick sides. We just try to find the facts and utilize those. And right now he is my wide receiver too, but he's really weird where if he went to, say, the Colts, he would be around my wide receiver five, wide receiver six. I mean, I'm ready to drop him in my rankings the second he's drafted. If he, do, if he doesn't go to the right situation because that's the type of player I think he is. Uh, I do think that he wasn't used properly at Old Miss. I mean, he was used on the left 100% of the time. A lot of the time he's just sent on go routes because he's faster and stronger than everybody else. But the example I keep using is a realistic situation I think he can find himself in on the Falcons. I mean, A.J. Brown and DeMarcus Lodge are both going to get drafted. DeMarcus Lodge probably late, but still drafted. So... Yes, he did have competent receiving core mates, but when you go to play with Julio, who just got almost getting that four-year extension, and Calvin Ridley, who's on his rookie contract, do you really want the guy that's competing with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley for the next four years when he couldn't really get touches with DeMarcus Lodge and A.J. Brown? You know, A.J. Brown, who we're going to talk about next, who was also very productive. So I'm right there with you. I mean, he's at two based on the potential, and I will argue that Harry has probably the same ceiling. But I could see how you could look at DK Metcalf and think he has a little better of a ceiling. Um, so that's why Harry's my one. But yeah, I'm 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 right there with you on DK. I mean, he's at your five. He's probably going to be at my five unless he goes to say the Colts. That'd be a fun landing spot. Oh yeah, I don't think anybody there is. I mean, DK is going to kick out anybody there if. If he lands there. Yeah, I think that'd be a great spot for them, especially considering, I guess, one, where the team is at right now in terms of <clears throat> in terms of cap space. They haven't made a ton of moves during the during the free agency period. I mean, they brought in Devin Funchess on the one-year deal. So I think that would be a fine fit. And we already know, at least we have an understanding of what Devin Funchess can do. And I think Metcalf's skill set complements, I think, what he could do. And then also you got the, the remaining players. So I'm not really all... I mean, Deion Kane, I guess, is the one, uh, I guess, receiver that I have the most interest in, at least from a dynasty standpoint, sure. uh, c- coming out of there. But, yeah, I think for the most part, I think that entire team could use a player of his particular skill yeah. set. 
Not if DK goes there. I mean, no, no, no. no. Deion Kane said if DK goes there, but I do like yeah, Deion. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, but moving on, so we already actually previewed or discussed this player beforehand. But so moving on to AJ Brown, I guess one, what was your process in order to rank AJ Brown, and then why did you uh, why did you feel it necessary to I guess keep him there, or I guess have has it has his rank morphed like as we've come to learn more about him. For me personally, uh, yes, I I've always had him uh, between that that one and three range. Um, <clears throat> for me, but uh, I moved him up recently um, to the wide receiver two based on um, Kelvin Harmon's little age slip up that that seemed to uh, happen over the past couple weeks. Um, apparently, he was born a year later, so that moves kind of his breakout age and and everything to uh, age twenty. Which statistically, um, it, you know, if anybody's unfamiliar with breakout age, it's it's um, the age at which a, a wide receiver or even a, a other positions as well, um, but they're able to sustain enough of uh, production and market share of an offense that tells us that <clears throat> um, they're good, essentially, that they've they've required enough of that offense. Uh, I believe it's a 20% threshold. And uh, Kelvin Harmon kind of fell out of that. Um, he was had a 19 breakout, uh, breakout age and then moved to 20. So I, I moved A.J. Brown in front of him, and uh, I – the more I dive in on AJ Brown, the more I feel like I probably should have had him at wide receiver two. Anyways, um, the more I watch tape on him, he's a very fluid athlete. He's he can run every single route, and he's probably the top two route runners uh, in in this this class for me. He's a he's a big guy. He's athletic. He can do it all. He's a very well rounded receiver. But then if you look at um, from a a number standpoint too. Two straight seasons uh, at age 20 and age 21, over 30% dominator rating. Fantastic. Um, and he did that uh, at age 20. Um, he did that with DK Metcalf being there. And, um, yeah, so going to the numbers, uh, A.J. Brown was able to produce um, – his one of his, his best seasons was the season that um, – that had DK Metcalf there in his full season as well, uh, and and the likes of Demarcus Lodge, and he was still able to put up um, a massive percent of five um, percent do- dominator rating, which means uh, he he had thirty five percent of the combined receiving and um, touchdown market share there, um, and he did it with DK Metcalf and Demarcus Lodge. There. That tells me that he continues to stand out regardless of the competition that's on that side of the ball, and then regardless of the competition on the other side of the ball. So that kind of backed up what I saw on, on, on the tape. And then speaking of that, going back to the tape, um, in the five-game stretch that uh, DK Metcalf missed last season, if you've watched any tape on DK, you notice that he primarily lines up on the left side of the formation and that he is a, a very big vertical threat um, and he has a very limited route tree. Uh, well, instead of bringing somebody in to go and fill that role for them, um, they just moved A.J. Brown over there whenever they wanted to, and he succeeded. He able to play that role just as well as he is able to play in the slot um he can play the x y and the z and that's what makes him such a a really interesting prospect is i think a lot of people don't um when looking at the numbers and stuff and 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 looking at the physical tangibles i think they they sometimes leave out versatility and when i saw that over that five game stretch that they did not bring in lodge to kind of come along and play that x that x role they allowed aj brown to play that x role to me that just told me, like, like, okay, this kid is this kid is legit, and not only does it back up on the tape, but it backs up on the numbers as well. Um, so I had to move him up with the little slip up with the Kelvin Harmon age thing and and, and everything like that. I kind of had to move him up, um, and he's 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 one of those guys I think is just surefire thing in this draft. AJ so, Brown's kind of waiting in the wings for me to be that wide receiver too as well. If, <clears throat> if DK doesn't go to a great spot, I mean, AJ Brown should probably move up to that wide receiver two spot. Me and Zach Reed from. Dynasty Dummies got a little tag team match against Jake Anderson, who we all know is the biggest DK fan in the entire world. But I thought that AJ Brown separated very well on film and Zach did too. But that's why I don't dabble in film as much. I mean, I watch it for my own personal preference, but I don't put it out as much because we could watch the exact same route and pull like 10 different things from it. That's why we've been preaching this whole off season that like you need all of it. You need to take everything into account to put it all into one big mixing pot. Because if I just watched film, I'm going to tell Jake that I thought AJ Brown separated very well. And he's going to tell me that he doesn't think he separated very well. So then you go back to the numbers. It's like, okay, well he dominated the offense of the player that you also love. So I think he might end up being my wide receiver too, but 
it's hard to look at DK and not be like, okay, give him the respect. I mean, the dude's got 1.6% body fat. He's put in the work. He's earned my wide receiver two spot for now. But once it matters, it might move up to A.J. Brown, depending on this draft. So real quick question, I guess, for both of you guys. Since we're able to at least project from both a number standpoint and also from even from a film standpoint, it to me it sounds like, and I've seen a little bit of A.J. Brown, but it sounds like A.J. Brown is a, I mean, this is no, uh, I guess, difficult statement to make, but A.J. Brown is a good wide receiver. Let's just keep it at that. So it also seems like he's a productive wide receiver that should, his skill set should be able to translate well to the NFL. So now I guess the third part to that is, uh, I guess, that most folks want to talk about is landing spot. So mm-hmm. And that's what everybody wants to try and take into account, which might be good process or bad process. But if that's something that's ahead of us here within the next month-ish or so, mm-hmm. let's have that quick discussion. What would be the best and worst-case scenario for somebody of A.J. Brown's skill set? So what would you guys think in terms of the best-case landing spot scenario for him to walk into and begin at least producing? Uh, where would you guys see that happening? Or what would be the best-case scenario for him? I would like him to go to the Seahawks. That's my uh Generally for A.J. Brown, that's what I like. Uh, I do like Doug Baldwin a lot. He's going into more surgeries this offseason, and last year he didn't look the same either. A.J. Brown's the type of player that uh, can scramble with Russell Wilson. He's the type of guy that's going to get open. He's going to improvise. So I think he would fit in very well there. I mean, Tyler Lockett would still be that awesome deep threat, obviously. A.J. Brown's used to playing with a deep threat, and I understand Lockett can do more. I, I don't hate Tyler Lockett. He's probably too valuable for me right now, but I think that A.J. Brown would slot in there perfectly. And like you alluded to earlier, Jesse, he can play everywhere. So say Baldwin does come in healthy. I mean, there's still not a third wide receiver there of note. So he would still mesh in perfectly fine, but he's that perfect, quick, get open kind of guy, which obviously we had disagreed with Jake on, but I think that he'll get plenty of separation for Doug Baldwin to, or for uh, Russell Wilson to extend those plays and find AJ Brown open. Yeah, no, I I completely agree there. I think Seattle would be really really fun to watch him at, just because he is such a fluid athlete. And when when like you said, when Russell Wilson scrambles and he's looking for something, I believe AJ Brown possesses the skill set, athleticism, um, everything that you need to be a receiver that can keep up with Russell Wilson and what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I really like that there. I'm gonna go kind of left here because. I think the thing with A.J. Brown is I really don't care about landing spot. I think he's become one of the guys that I think he's so productive and he does what he does so well that um, there are only a couple select spots that I would just be like, ew. Uh, mm-hmm. One of those would probably probably be like Baltimore. Um, Washington. Depending on what they do at the quarterback, I don't think so because they do. They still have Paul That's Richardson, uh, Jordan Jordan Reed. I know he's he's injury prone. I know he's, but he soaks up a lot of the middle of that field. He's a great mm-hmm. receiver as like a, you know third fourth option there. Right. I don't think I'd mind Washington as much depending on what they do at the quarterback position. Sure. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say, and this is just out of left field too. I'm gonna say like maybe the Cowboys would be a fun landing spot for him. Sure. Um, I think AJ Brown is uh, capable of being a one A one B type of guy mm-hmm. to Amari Cooper, and then um, you put him in that in that Z position and rotate with uh, him and Gallup in in, in the slot. And I think that'd be disgusting for Dak. I think he'd probably be talking mm-hmm. about one of the best wide receiver cores in the NFL. Um, and like I said, that's out of left field, but that's kind of how I feel about AJ Brown right now. Is I feel like he's he's really one of the only guys outside of like Nikhil Harry right now that I think where situation is kind of I just don't see him having a bad situation unless it's um, extremely crowded I could see him even going to um, to to Atlanta and competing mm. with Calvin really for the the two spot and then still right. trying to be that one one a one b with with Julio Jones there it just it de- I, I, so that's kind of where I land he's probably him and Nikhil Harry are the only two guys right now that I feel confident um, that are kind of immune to the situation, and uh, I think they can produce regardless. Chris and I just talked to Ethan Turner uh, last episode, and one of our topics, uh, Chris brought up Alan Hearns' injury, and it was mm-hmm. kind of like, what are they going to do? And I said, this is the year that Dak has to uh, really get himself into that elite tier because what a lot of people don't want to give him credit for is that he's been top 10 every year that he's been a starter, yep, and right. I, will, I will give him credit for that. I don't think I, I give him enough credit. But if he's ever going to be a lead, it's going to have to be this year. And we just discussed that Gallup's really going to have to step up because chances are Alan Hearns isn't going to be healthy 
Um, and even if he was, he wasn't producing anyways. So I think that AJ Brown would kick Gallup right out of there if he went there. So yeah, I, I think so too. I don't mind that. And also, <laughs> we know that Dak doesn't throw into tight windows. So if we're going to go with AJ Brown separates, which we both think he does, then mm-hmm. that would be a good landing spot. I actually like all. I like I like both of those suggestions. I'll toss out a third actually, because now that I'm thinking about it, I wouldn't mind actually seeing him in Jacksonville. Uh, I could see at least from my point being is that from a from the standpoint, yeah, they're bringing in Nick Foles, Pork. I, I wouldn't say the greatest QB situation, but you have a mostly young wide receiver core. Uh, D.D. Westbrook, Keelan Cole, and most of them, I think he would mesh well given their current skill sets. And assuming they run after a quarterback in 20, I think that would be a young wide receiver group that would be something that I would like to invest in. I think that he would, I think he would probably move into that wide receiver one, two ish role, like almost yeah, immediately yeah. walking into that. So I think yeah, that would I would, be I would, right right away. I would, I would hate that only because I'm a big D.D. Westbrook truther right now. Uh, yeah. Moncrief, <laughs> no, you know, don't. Moncrief kicked the dust. You know, I'm, I'm really pulling oh, man, for, for... I, I can't have any Chief Creef slander on this on this oh, podcast. Man. Man. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence saved J. Brown in 2020. I'm here for it. No, yeah. dude, yeah. I'm, I'm here for that, too. I'm I think that I think that would be kind of fun. But, but that's... But you guys would, I don't think he would be eligible. No, no I don't think so. Not yet. 21. But, yeah, I think... But you guys bring up some good points here in that it seems like both A.J. Brown and Nikhil Harry, I mean, those one and two receivers that most folks have pretty much they can seem to be the consensus top one and two wide receivers for most people other than maybe Jake Anderson. Uh, It seems like their talent makes them situation independent. So we could see most of them producing unless they just go to a situation where they're fighting for volume or the quarterback situation is somewhat poor or below average or at league replacement level that that's really the only concerns that we would have for either of those two players. Now, anybody below that, yeah, we would really need to see them land in the perfect spot. Adam, you mentioned it earlier with DK Metcalf. We need him to be in the right spot. We need him to be with a quarterback that's going to press it down the field and actually to unlock the talents that we've seen for such a big, strong-bodied uh, receiver. So I think for those guys, I think it's less about the situation because we already know the talent exists. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. And I want to throw out one more landing spot for AJ Brown. I think I and just, maybe it's because I'm a local too, but I would just absolutely love, love, love to see him in a San Francisco 49ers jersey. I would love to see yeah. him and Kittle just roaming the field with Jimmy yeah. G and just absolutely killing it. Shanahan with the run game. I mean, they got Tevin Coleman there now. If they can lock up AJ Brown, oh man, you better watch yeah, out for that offense. Oh, there would be, yeah, there'd be receivers just all over the field. Him and Dante Pettis. Oh, yeah. dude, I'm Pettis is huge and I get it yeah. because of the situation, but that would stomp Pettis' value to me. Uh, it, it, um, no, it, it definitely would. would. I think from it a would. real football per, per perspective, though, I think it would be good. I, I think it would probably be good for both of them, but yeah, yeah. no, that would, pro- that would probably move me out of out of the Pettis hype for, for the most part. Um, right. I know, like, we just, like we just repetitively stomped on A.J. Brown is probably one of the more immune wide receivers, and I think right. that that is a situation where he comes in uh, because the, the lack of talent at the position there, that's a position where he comes in, he's just automatically the number one. There is no 1A, yeah. 1B. He is just the number one there. Um well, maybe one A, one B with Kittle, you know that. So, sure, but right. um, but other than that, yeah, I would I would have to say I completely agree with you. I'd probably be moving off of uh, Pettis for the most part. You'd probably move to like a late rounder guy for me. Yeah, and Pettis would... is talented. Like he's plenty yes. talented. I don't dislike mm-hmm. Pettis at all. He's priced at the San Francisco wide receiver one right now, which is super valuable. Which I understand, but I think anybody that's buying him at his price right now has to know that they're taking a risk, which sometimes you need to take risks. He's not the priciest player in the world. He's not priced at what he would be if he were the wide receiver one midseason next year. I mean, so in that right. sense, if you're super confident that they're not going to draft somebody and that he's going to be wide receiver one all through the year next year, yeah, buy him now. But I, I think I'm too afraid that any number of these wide receivers, he'd probably be my wide receiver six. I think that feels fair. Yeah, that feels fair. So that would take six wide receivers. That, that would mean there's six wide receivers that if San Francisco lands, one of them Pettis is going to have to drop rounds. Yeah. They wouldn't buy them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I I agree there. Definitely agree. Mm -hmm. All right, now switching over from the wide receiver position over to quarterbacks. So we're assuming Kyler Murray, he's going to be the, the number one quarterback if he's not in the uh, in the draft, but most for the most part for, for startups. Uh, so now 
Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, we're assuming they're gone. Uh, who's your quarterback three? Uh, I'll be honest with you guys, no one, because this quarterback Oof. class is just absolute hot garbage. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I, in, no in all reality, and I, I'm actually about um, – I have a, an article coming out, a prospect profile of him coming out in the next couple of days, hopefully. Um, it's, it, my my pretty solidified third third rank guy would be Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really don't – I don't necessarily – coming out of my prospect profile for him, I really don't necessarily like him. He's got a ton of arm talent. Um, he can fit in into tight windows. Um, he just lacks the mechanics, and he lacks a little bit of the football IQ that I look for in, in a – um, a quarterback that I would want to come in and be a franchise guy. Um, he's a guy that, that can greatly benefit from coming in and sitting behind maybe like a Nick Foles for a season or which, which isn't going to happen because okay. they just paid him a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's a, he's a guy that I, that I think if he comes in and starts right away, um, you're asking for him to develop into a, a game manager type of guy. And that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing necessarily, but um, you're, you're, you're not going to be um, getting this fran- – you're not getting – Right now, from my perspective, you're not getting 2017 Drew Lock, the 44 touchdowns mm-hmm. and the you know j- you know uh, just under 4,000 yards and like 165 percent passer rating. You're not getting that guy. He was inconsistent across the board, and I think that's just the type of player that he is. I think that he will have flashes over his career where he just does phenomenal things, uh, but then I think that he's going to have flashes where you're like, "What the fuck did we do with this guy? Like, why?" Excuse my language, too. Uh, but you know, like, why did we? Why, yeah, sorry. Uh, like, what? Well, because I'm sure that's what people are going to say. Watch, dude. Two years from now, people are going to be like, "Dude, what? What were we thinking?" Um, but Going back to my point, yeah, he's he's probably um, and and the way that I'm talking about him right now would probably make you think that I'm that I'm like off of him. But the fact of the matter is that this quarterback class is so dull that mm-hmm. this guy is my three. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where I land. Um, if I'm in a super flex league um, or even. I mean, one quarterback, I'm probably not drafting him at all. But if I'm in a right. super flex league, I'll probably take a chance in the fourth round, maybe third or fourth. It depends. And that's – that's. I think people are – depending on wh- where he goes and what weapons he has around him, I think people are going to – he'll probably shoot up the board uh, once he yeah. does get drafted in a super flex. I know those quarterbacks are like gold, but um, – yeah, I just I, I don't trust him. Outside of Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins, those are the only two guys that I'm pulling the trigger on. But Drew Locke is is a far away second or third. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not really comfortable advising on the QBs yet. I, I'm pretty much all the way through the wide receivers and the running backs, and going with the tight ends. And I haven't really worried about the quarterback class yet because, like you said, I, I'm on Kyler Murray. I'm on mm-hmm. Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But I will explain to you a very real situation for a really stupid team. The Redskins are. I'm definitely going to stay put at 17 and probably draft either here, Daniel Jones mm-hmm. and Keenum is not going to, to last. Uh, what they should do is tank next year with case Keenum, let him lose the games at the very end, like he does, and then go for the, the 2020 class, but they probably won't do that. So they're going to get themselves in a situation where they have case Keenum. They're going to draft Drew Locke. And then they're going to plan on starting him next year, probably win too many games, be out of the quarterback race next year, thinking that they have Drew Locke. So even though you don't want to draft Drew Locke, you have a pretty good chance of getting the Redskins starting quarterback next year for what that's worth. Not much. Not much. <laughs> not much at all. I mean, they could always add players and you could see a totally different team, but yeah, probably not much because it's Stan Snyder. Agreed there. Right, I agree there. Get to the fun position then. This is tough. This one's going to be tough. Uh, I want to know where you rank Josh Jacobs and why he had the low market share in his backfield with Damian Harris and Najee Harris. Actually, I think he had – did he have the lowest market share of the three or was he ahead of Najee Harris? Uh, I, th- I believe he was considerably a- ahead of, of Najee this past year. Uh, I'd have to look at the numbers again, but I do uh-huh. believe he was um, <clears throat> he was considerably ahead of him. Najee's a, a, he's he was kind of the, the third there no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, looking at my rankings, I I have uh, I have Josh Jacobs right now as my RB three. That'll probably change as I, I'm a real big fan of Alexander Madison. I, I think he'll probably move in that three spot. Josh Jacobs will be that four, but he kind of lines up in that that DK Metcalf role that we mm-hmm. I kind of talked about. For he's the DK Metcalf of the running backs for me right mm-hmm. now. Huh. All right. Um, 
I, I really I really like except he had a lot more production and we have stuff to go on. But um, for the most part, uh, I think that the two years before that that he spent with with Damian Harris, obviously um, uh, Harris really dominated the touches. He had two thousand yard seasons. He dominated all the production there. Um, but this year they they really gave Josh Jacobs some opportunity to to work with and. He came out better than I expected. When looking at the statistics and everything, he really did take over um, a pretty considerable chunk of of what Damian Harris does and a lot of that red zone work as well. Um, and you saw Damian Harris's his his workload and his production go down considerably. I believe he hit in the mm-hmm. eight hundred nine hundred mark range. So you really saw a one A one B kind of kind of thing there. And for for what J- Josh Jacobs for all the hype that's surrounding him. I think you just have to ask yourself what happened in those two years before that. Mm-hmm. Um, why wasn't he able to? And then, and then even this year, if he's as good as people say, why was he not able to separate himself from Harris? And um, why is that? Why did? Why was he not able mm-hmm. to separate with his skill set? What everyone is telling me that he is good at and what he can do. Um, and to a lot of people, he's their running back one right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and rightfully, I, I believe his skill set on tape is, is phenomenal. He can catch the ball. Uh, he doesn't have incredible burst, uh, but he's got elite vision. He knows where to take the football. He's got a, an absolute knack for finding uh, the, the paint. He can get there. And he's a bruiser, too. A lot of people are like comping him to, to Mark Ingram, which is, you know, I don't like player comps, but um, that one kind of makes sense. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, so for me, I believe his skill set on tape pops. Uh, you just don't see it as much on on the stat sheet. Um, I'm not too concerned with injury. I'm not too concerned um, with any with with um, with any of, of his physical attributes at all. I'm more concerned with why he wasn't able to separate himself from from Damian Harris. And but then you can look at it from this this season's perspective, and you can look at that what he was how how much he was able to eat into Damian Harris's um, workload. The fact is, is that the running back position is such a varied position. It's the most it's the most varied position in in fantasy football, if you ask me. Because there is no there's no time where you are um, where you are able to have two backs on the field and you just get to decide right. which one it goes to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I, and um, so it's it's predicated on just pure volume. So how much volume is is a, is a running back going to get that makes him valuable? And that's that's really the question that we have to ask. So um, with a, lo- a lot of these running backs in this entire class, they will be predicated on where they go and what opportunity will will come to them before that um, or after that. Uh, Josh Jacobs has the skill set to be a three down workhorse. I believe personally, he can do it all. He's very well rounded. I love the tape that I saw from him. Um, but with another running back it, that in the fold that that does get opportunity and is efficient with that opportunity, as we saw with Damian Harris, what is he going to do there? Sure. What is he going mm-hmm. to do when he goes to that situation? And I think that's a question you have to ask yourself. For me, um, I enjoyed watching him and the skill set that he that he displayed to me on tape. Um, and I believe he's worthy of that uh, of a top five running back spot, mm-hmm. um, and that's another hill that I'm that I'm willing to die on. At some point, you just have to ask yourself as a fantasy owner. Uh, we're all like I said, we're all wrong, mm-hmm. and none of us are right a hundred percent of the time. Um, it's about saying, and, and we're supposed to have fun too. It's about saying, I like this mm-hmm. guy. I like what I see on tape. Uh, yeah. There are some statistics to back it up. And mm-hmm. if I'm smart about the guys that are before him, I'm willing to kind of die on this mm-hmm. hill. So he's he's a guy that if he falls in, which he won't, I don't think he'll fall in between that same range as that I said for DK. It was like the 106 and, and after. Um, if he falls somewhere in that range, I might contemplate you know taking a, a stab at him depending on what else is there on the board. If you just listen to that Peter episode, Jake Anderson has a wonderful quote, probably one of my favorite quotes from the offseason. And it was basically saying that Alabama has four starting running backs at all times Mm -hmm. on their roster. He said if if Alabama didn't hog all of the running backs, there would be four more starting running backs in the SEC. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Now, the problem I see with that, and that's probably the most valid point I've gotten so far about Josh Jacob. I would tend to lean a little bit productive production too, because I don't take as many chances as you probably should. Mm-hmm. Um, the best argument so far is pretty much that you can't have two running backs on the field at the same time. And Alabama has no incentive to give one running back the bulk of the load when they have three to four quality running backs at all times. Right. You can basically split the injury risk four ways in a sense. So, but why wasn't Josh Jacobs the one A there, and not the one B, one C? 
that's the the concerning part. But I'll tell you, Josh Jacobs' film, you could grab some popcorn and sit down to Josh Jacobs' film. I mean, some of the best film I've ever watched, honestly. It's so much fun to watch Josh Jacobs play. So it's really hard to watch his film and then go look at his production and say, what was this guy? Like, why? Why wasn't he touching the ball every other play? Yeah, I can com- I completely agree there. And and kind of to to play devil's advocate there with, you know, um I understand how that, you know, the the four starting running backs makes sense and you know how they have um it, you know how they have an abundance of talent at the position and you split injury risk. I, I trust me, I get that train of thought, but at the same time on the other hand, you have to think if he's not able to stand out with all that talent that's surrounding him right now, how is he going to do that at the next level? How can we guarantee that the spot that he goes, he would just have to have, he would have to go to Philadelphia and mm-hmm. and, and have nobody but like Darren Sproles there to catch passes. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He could, yeah. he probably wouldn't be able to deal with with Corey Clement with uh, Josh Adams. Like, so where do we draw that line and say, okay, well, yeah, there was an abundance of talent at Alabama, but he still wasn't able to, he wasn't able to separate from that. But we're gonna say that he did, he's going to at the next level. Um, that's like I said, devil's advocate. But then if you want to be positive about it, he's got a lot less wear and tear than a guy like mm-hmm. Miles Gaskin, um, who has the, the like the leading guy for uh, scrimmage touches in, mm-hmm. in all of NCAA history, or I think he ranks in like the top 20 or so. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he's got less wear and tear there. As far as I know, no significant um, injuries. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you can look at it from a bunch of different ways. I tend to lean with the, okay, well, I, he wasn't able to do it um, in college with with college with other college running backs of of elite caliber, and he's I, I highly doubt he's going to be able to do it efficiently at the next level. But like I said, I what I saw on tape, I'm willing to kind of I'm, I'm willing to put that, him in that that running back you know five range, and I'm willing to die on that hill if he falls to me. I'm willing to take that risk as a fantasy owner in my rookie drafts. I'm going to do it, and I'm comfortable doing it because I believe that the, the talent is there. You just have to be comfortable with yourself as an owner, saying, okay, well, I didn't see it here, um, I saw it here. You have to weigh those 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 two options, and that's part of my process. You know, you have to weigh what what you're given. So. Yeah, I think all of that makes sense. So now, so we had, so we didn't get this chance to see uh, Josh Jacobs at the combine. I mean, the, we were just now hearing about all of his work at his pro day, which it looks like he the numbers seem to match the talent. Uh, but now, let's talk about a running back that we actually did see at the combine. So let's talk about Miles Sanders real quick. So I think a lot of his, uh, I guess, for a lot of his production and for a lot of his talent that we're now being able to showcase, I mean, the, the man was sitting behind one of the greatest uh, running back prospects to come out uh, in the past, let's say, decade, depending on how mm-hmm. far you want, really want to go back. Maybe ever, but yeah, yeah. yeah. It could could be ever, right. But I guess at the Combine, he was really able to show out. I mean, 40 time was great. I mean, three cone was, was fairly decent as well. I mean, the production, I think, sans... Saquon Barkley uh, also seems to also seems to be there. So now, mm-hmm. uh, based off of our discussion on Josh Jacobs, I mean, is do you have Miles Sanders ahead of him? So right now, looking at my sheet, I I do not believe I do. So I have him. So I have him right now, currently as my my running back five. So he mm-hmm. sits right after Alexander Madison, and and I, you can make a strong case that that Sanders deserves to to push up in in there a little bit uh, a little bit higher. Um, the 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 field the the talent field in this running back class is so even i feel like outside mm-hmm. of the top 2 for me outside of david montgomery and daryl henderson mm-hmm. uh, the, the 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 next 3 after that is so even that i could mix them up and really just mm-hmm. be comfortable taking any one of those guys mm-hmm. miles sanders falls into that 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 category there um ideal size he's got really good speed killed it at the combine um for me I'm go- if I'm going off of that one year of production, yes, he definitely deserves to be higher on my list. Uh, but I don't believe he's he is the the whole package for me. Mm-hmm. He's not as whole as well rounded as a guy like Alexander Madison and Josh Jacobs for me. Um, and that's kind of where he falls uh, at that that fifth spot for me. Um, I know he played behind Saquon Barkley, uh, like you guys said. Granted, one of the, the probably the best prospects and best guys to ever do it and come out of <clears throat> uh, NCAA football. Um, but after that, when he was able to sustain that workload, we saw him show out. I believe he had um, he had over twelve hundred yards, uh, two hundred seven touches, twelve hundred and twenty three yards, and nine touchdowns. 
and that's massive for one mm-hmm. year. He should be proved that with a steady workload um, and having a, a massive, massive market share, which I believe he had 47% mm-hmm. of all rushing production there, um, that he can do it. Uh, and then I, I think I had him really low too before the combine. And I, I watched the combine and I went back and I watched some of his tape. Um, he's got good vision. He's just a sturdy kind of guy. He's a sturdy mm-hmm. guy that I think can can handle uh, a two to three down workload. He's some, probably somebody that I would like to see with a um, with a pass catching back. Somebody like a you know a James White or somebody that can um, take that load off uh, receiving wise. Because I would just like him to be uh, not just a runner, but um, he he's capable. And don't let me you know don't don't think that I'm not saying that he isn't capable. But I think he he deserves to have a supporting cast to really open up the fluidity of the type of athlete and running back that he is. After the combine, I think I really saw you know the the type of the type of physical specimen that he is. He looked really really. He was probably the cleanest the cleanest running back on the field yeah. for me. Um, okay, he's very works. smooth, yeah. great, great footwork, great hands. He just was very consistent. And if that's if that is an indication, which it usually isn't, you know, sometimes we, we get enamored with what these guys do at the combine. But um, if that's any indication of some of the the fluidity as an athlete and the um, the physical tangibles that he has, I think that um, that was a precursor for how how consistent he could potentially be from a physical standpoint and from um, a um, a next level athlete standpoint uh, that he can be at the next level. And yeah, so that's kind of where I land on him right now. He's definitely top five. He'll probably move up and then move down and then move up again, you know, leading up to the draft. But mm-hmm. he's definitely worthy of a top five spot. And I, you, I think that if you can, I'm definitely snagging him in the first round if I can, late in the first probably. Um, I know he was going later than that before the combine and in a lot of the, the rookie mocks that I saw. Um, if he slips to the second and you have an early second, you better just – smash on it as fast as you possibly mm-hmm. can. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't think and, he will, but yeah. No, I don't think he will either. I think he's he's going to be a, a definitely a, a mid to late first round guy. Um, so he might even creep up. I know he's a lot of people's um, running back one right now. Mm-hmm. So he might even creep up into that, you know, 105, 106 area. And I wouldn't be mad if you took him, depending the yeah. situation. But um, – so- yeah, no, I, I really like him. I like him more than I did when I started the process and, or started my process, I should say. And um, he came out he came out really, really good for me. That's super interesting that you mentioned at the combine that he was low for you. And then he jumped up because I was actually the same way. I knew he existed, but he doesn't really like he's not going to jump out at you because he only had that one year of production, which is why some people only look at the last year of production. But you know, it's weird. Most of most seasons around right now, my wide receiver one's pretty much solidified. My running back one is usually pretty solidified because there's usually guys that are like, Saquon was easy last year, mm-hmm. but there's, there's usually guys that are like, it doesn't matter where they're going to go. And that's where I'm at with Nikhil Harry. He's not going to leave my one at one. He could go to all 32 teams. He's not going to change for me. But at running back, I love David Montgomery. He's pretty firmly in my one at one. But Miles Sanders is so clean. And David Montgomery profiles as the type of guy that could go fourth, maybe. he He's so good, and we love him so much in the Dynasty community. I just get the feeling that he might fall in this draft. And if he does and Miles Sanders goes to the prime spot, I, I really might have to move him up to that running back one spot. I mean, so much is dependent on the draft coming up. But I think the point that I'm making here is that with these running backs – you, you can't get stuck on any of them yet. It's mm-hmm. a weird class. Um, I don't think it's a bad class. Everyone says it's a bad class, but I think the NFL is showing more and more that a competent running back in the right situation is going to be absolutely productive. You've got Damian Williams showing you that. You have TJ Yeldon when Leonard Fournette goes down showing you that. Hell, even C.J. Anderson. Ex- absolutely. C.J. Yeah. Anderson w- was running through monster yeah. truck holes. So we really need to understand more and more that you do have to be a competent running back. Isaiah Crowell is a bad running back, and he ran into his blockers, but there are not many running backs that cannot go to the hole that's designated for them if they're in the right situation. So for me, I'm trying to learn from that, and year after year, you get your little tweaks. My kind of tweaks now are draft competent running backs in great situations. So I'm trying not to love David Montgomery as much as I do, because if he goes in the fourth round, I'm still going to want to try to convince myself to take him early. And Miles Sanders might go late second. I mean, he played behind Saquon Barkley, and he 
obviously it doesn't look like Saquon Barkley on film, but he's got the clean factor, which was a great word that you used earlier. You watch him and he's crisp. Yes. And that stands out to NFL scouts. Unfortunately, it does. Because NFL scouts, we would like to think it's their job and they're so much better than us, but they're very susceptible to highlight tape, in my mm, opinion. Yes. So he's a guy that might pop up into the late second in the NFL draft, even mid-second. And then our guy, David Montgomery, sitting there, what, early fourth behind someone really good. It's like, man, you got to be ready to let Miles Sanders jump up there, man. He's good. Yeah, put Miles Sanders on the Raiders. Oh, that would be, that would be sp- tough. That would be spicy. And to kind of to kind of go with your point, Adam, I think that you know a lot of people think that. Um, to be clear, I did. You know, you made the 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 comment about you know Miles Sanders being a little bit low for me before the combine. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely he jumped up, not significantly, because mm-hmm. I think people shouldn't take what. Uh, happens at the comp you should take it with a grain of salt you, right. if you have a guy ranked if you move him up two spots maybe down two spots you should already have a, a really good feel for where you have that prospect regardless of what he does mm-hmm. at the combine but where i believe the combine matters is is and i'm glad you brought this up draft round because mm-hmm. these scouts are going to go back to the gms and they're going to go back to their respective teams and they're going to tell them that this guy is worth a x round grade and we in the fantasy community and especially in the data analytics community, we put a lot of stock in where these guys are drafted. You know, like if, if DK Metcalf is dra- drafted in the top 10 overall prospects in the entire draft, he's going to shoot up um, considerably into if he's not already in your top five or top three, he should shoot up there because statistically guys that that get selected absolutely in the first round, there's the, the, the chances of them hitting in, in the NFL, it, they go up. They go up significantly, um, and we put a lot of stock into these um, in, in, into draft capital and everything. And that's where I believe the combine matters because these scouts are going to go back and tell their respective teams where they believe they should get drafted. If a guy like David Montgomery goes in the fourth, and then Miles Sanders goes in like the second, you have to you're going to have to adjust for that because the likelihood um, of of Miles Sanders, depending on what situation he goes to, too, you have to account for things like that. Although these these players should not necessarily move up um, in in your rankings based on what they did at the combine, you should really be paying attention to um, the, the what other scouts and what other people are saying um, about what their draft grade might look like because um, you have to you have to account for draft capital and potential um, potential landing spot there. And I think that's where we should probably start putting our stock into what we pay attention to that comes out of the combine not necessarily what um what 40 time he ran what are what are people saying there that are going to elevate or 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 deteriorate their draft stock for a prospect yeah and i think you bring up a great point and we also had a similar discussion with the dynasty dummies a few weeks back in that while we don't necessarily care about what comes out of the combine considering that there is no analytical correlation between 40 time and success. I mean, there's some signal, but there, there's not a lot. There's really, there's not no, a sticky one. right, right, exactly. And the same thing for any of the other uh, testing events that go on there. Of course, there are, there, are po- there are parts and pieces that we can take from, but there's no way that we can say, all right, well, if you run uh, a 4440, you're guaranteed to, for this type of production. There's no way that we can, there's no analysis that shows that to us. So while we might not care about the combine as much, and I think this was Zach Reed that said this, uh, but the NFL teams do. NFL teams will look at that uh, that wide receiver that breaks the the forty time record and say, "Well, I'm going to take that wide receiver in the first round." Mm-hmm. You know, and that's happened before, apparently. Uh, John team, Ross. Yeah, exactly. To to a team that I have problems with, but, and they give them one touch for twelve yards. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so while we might not care. NFL teams do, and that affects draft capital, and draft capital you can not necessarily get. You can't draw a straight line, but draft capital then impacts how much volume and production that that player will have, how many reps they have, how much they can get in sync with the first-team offense. All of those things matter. So, So from that event, them running around in tights, translating to what they do on the field, I mean, you can draw a line between those those three things. So that, that is something that, and I think you bring up a good point, Jesse, in that look at what the scouts are saying because that's what's going right into the ears of the GMs, the owners, the coaches. 
and that's what then will then translate into what we sa- what we see happen here in well, I guess Nashville this year, but at the NFL draft for for years to come. So I think that's an important uh, clip to really understand there. Uh, but hey, Jesse, I mean, this has been fantastic. I've picked up quite a few nuggets about both process and then having these discussions on the players, not just from their value, but also kind of where we can see them fitting into the league once they get drafted. I think this has been, I mean, just immensely valuable. But before we get you out of here, man, I mean, do we have or do you have any other content, any podcasts, anything that you want to, I guess, showcase to the folks before we get you out of here? Uh, yeah, sure. If you guys want to give me the platform, why not? Um, Always, I, uh, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'm currently a host of a, it's what's called uh, the Youth Movement Podcast. It falls under the FF Statistics family of podcasts. Um, me and my co-host, David Wilsey, we just kind of break down um, prospects and guys who kind of range from year one to year uh, year three. Um, guys that are young, that are making an impact in the league, guys that we like, that we don't like. Um kind of hammering in on the rookie process and, and what's going on uh, w- inside of the, the draft world. Um, and, and we highlight a lot of the youth, the we call them youth movers over there. Um, so that's a podcast that I'm involved in with over at FF Statistics. Uh, I am also uh, just in the middle of doing a ton of rankings for ffstatistics.com. Um, <clears throat> that's essentially where all of my work comes out of uh, FF Statistics. Um, Great, the, the great group of guys over there that I get to. And you guys to just dive had a big on. announcement this week, right? With the membership, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, actually, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, we actually did just make an announcement. I believe it is August or not August. Sorry, April, uh, April third. It's either April third or fourth. I'm sorry, Addison, that I don't know the exact date. Don't kill me. Um, but we are actually going behind a paywall, so we'll have a monthly subscription and a yearly subscription. Um, and uh, this is this is really good and really big for us, actually, because if, if anybody that's used our site knows that um, we have been free to the public over the past uh, year or so, or yeah, over the past year or so. Um, and we, we've thrown all of our tools, all of our data out there. Um, and we're getting to a point now to where our staff is growing. Um, our aspirations are growing uh, and we want to do bigger and better things in 2019. We want to do bigger and better things for the future. Our goal is obviously to be a leading provider of um, data analytics and just pure content for the fantasy community. And to do so, um, we have to be able to feed as much of, of our aspiration as possible um, with with monetizing. We have to be able to feed uh, what we want to do um, with money, essentially. We have to be able to give you guys the best content, to give you guys the best the best of everything. We have to continue to build our platform. And to do so, right now, our, we have to, uh, we're, we're looking to take that next step and to start um, giving you guys the best content possible. So we have that coming up in April. That's a big, that's a big thing. Um, sneak peek, we do, do have a little bit of a draft kit coming out. Um, it, that, okay. That'll be coming out later this spring. Uh, working on a, a lot of great stuff for that. Um, you guys can catch my, my weekly article uh right now they are subject to just pure prospect profile so like i said earlier in the, in the pod i'm doing um uh, drew lock should be dropping sometime i'm hoping today um shout out to my editors matt williams uh and yeah and so yeah right now just diving in on rookies and stuff but all of my work right now uh completely over at ff statistics again uh the youth movement podcast over there and you guys can catch me on 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 great podcasts like you know dynasty owners manual and stuff so that's what we're talking about right there so, uh, actually, and uh, thanks again, Jesse, for coming. Adam, do we have anything for the folks before we get on out of here? Yeah, I want to use my outtake just real quick to say don't be that guy or girl that complains about going behind a paywall. It takes so much work to produce this content now. We love doing it, and Chris and I would probably still do our show, even if no one listened, mostly mm-hmm. because it makes our Dynasty teams a lot better, and we can trick people into coming and teaching us things. Yes, <laughs> But for a lot of these sites, especially FF Statistics, who if you've been listening since the the if you've an OG listener, you've been listening to us partner with FF Statistics for a while. That's because Addison's been a buddy of the show. They do so much work, and if you can subscribe to a Patreon or or subscribe to a website or subscribe to DLF, and you just throw a couple bucks so that they can keep doing it, why not? I mean, it's work. It's real work to do what we're doing. So. I see it all the time and it drives me nuts. Oh, they're going behind a paywall. Well, yeah, they're working, you know. But uh, thank you for listening to the show. You can find me at 
A-P-W-I-L-D-E and go ahead. It's probably two weeks into the competition. By the time you hear this, still probably going to be able to enter. Go ahead and enter the post-hibernation weight loss challenges for charity, and uh, maybe you'll get some money or a Scott Fishbowl entry. Exactly. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing the results of that. We've got plenty of good people, especially for the folks in the Dynasty community. I know that uh, who who's in it as of right now? Drop some names for us, Adam. I know John Bosch, uh, uh, Jake Anderson, John Bosch, uh, Zach. Watch Reed out for Bosch, John. He's going to cheat. John, man. Yeah, John will fine. actually. Uh, John will starve himself to almost <laughs> death. I think to win this competition. Is he that extreme? And, huh. Oh, he yeah. is. And also, okay. don't forget we have other great, great prizes. I'm definitely not just saying that Scott Fishbowl entry is the best prize because, dude, we've got the Dynasty anal- uh, the Analytics of Dynasty by Jordan McNamara. He's donating his whole book. DLF is giving a year subscription. DCC, Dynasty Command Center, gave a year subscription and their rookie guide. So, man, That's we've got so much. Content. We've got so much stuff out there. We've got gift cards. We've got T-shirts. Definitely jump in there. Absolutely. So, yeah. Get in on that if you can. Follow Jesse if you uh, if you aren't already, and get some more of his content. Take a look at the F- FF Statistics handle uh, if you can get in before the paywall goes up. Definitely check out their site. Regardless, it's always a I think a positive thing to support good people in this community uh, putting together some good content. And all the folks over at FF Statistics can't say enough positive things about them because they're they are pumping out good good content every day of the week. Uh, minus Addison because I don't think he's all that great at Fortnite as he keeps saying he is. But uh, we he can thinks talk about he that is. Later. And he posts he these, he yeah. He posts these clips on Twitter, and they get like one like from yeah, from the exactly. kid that's sitting in their so they, basement yeah. looking for headshots. <laughs> and I'm just like, dude, stop posting. Nobody likes it. Like everyone likes your fantasy content, but yeah, just exactly. stop posting Fortnite games. I know. I had to. I had to get a dig at Addison though. <laughs> when you can, you have to. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I, but I'll, I'll love to Addison and the folks at FSO Statistics. But for Jesse, for Adam, I'm Chris Allen. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Allen FFWX. But thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week. Pick when it hits, you feel no pain. Praying for the fantasy championship. Hit the books, kid. Read this pamphlet called the Dynasty Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic. Owner's Manual. It's automatic. Dynasty. It's automatic.